Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Well, why don't you go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8? <clears throat> One of the great verses of Scripture in the Bible, Jesus' words. You need to memorize it, write it out, uh, get it on your phone, type it out on your phone, put it up on your fridge, memorize it. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 affectionately known as the Super Bowl chapter of the Bible. And uh, you need to get this into your spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost has not stopped for the last 2,000 years. We are still under the canopy and the favour of the new covenant and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And until Jesus returns, you can access everything that Jesus said is available to you. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, let's read it together. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts chapter two, verse one to four, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were seated and divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. No one needs to leave empty handed. No one needs to leave with just a mental experience. You can live, leave with a full heart. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Last Sunday, I preached on the power of speaking in tongues. If you haven't heard that, seen that, need to go back. Look at, listen to the podcast, look at the YouTube channel and watch it and listen to it in conjunction with this message. The two go hand in hand. Now, I wanna speak to you today on the person, the power and the purpose of Pentecost. The person, the power and the purpose of Pentecost. Now, I wonder if you've ever seen the before and after photos that people post on social media online of their physical transformations. It's quite fascinating, amazing. Some of it's inappropriate, to be honest. But it's like, I, I can't unsee that. I didn't wanna see that, but I saw it, right? But, you know, whether it's everyday people's uh, physical or body transformations or whether it's TV shows like Extreme Makeover, where, you know, for six weeks, people undergo cosmetic surgery and all this sort of thing, whether it's, you know, uh, movies like Marvel, Captain America, where Steve Rogers goes into an experiment and comes out as Captain America. Whether, whether it's, you know, the bizarre before and after of pop star Michael Jackson, and you go, what's that about? Um, wh whatever it is, it's a picture of people undergoing a radical change in order to facilitate the process of, for them, hopefully life transformation. And we live in a culture that thinks if we change enough external things, including our physical bodies, it'll mend and change things that are in our hearts. But I've met some people who are completely incapacitated in the external realities, even of their physical body, yet are more free than many people who have ability in every part of their body. 
If ever there was a before and after transformation, it was the disciples on the day of Pentecost. You see, before Pentecost, when Jesus was being arrested, the disciples fled for their lives in fear. In fact, Mark's Gospel says that there was a young man who ran so quickly away that he left all of his clothing back at the garden. And I, first of all, I have to ask the question, what the heck was he doing without his clothes on? But anyway, um, maybe he just was moving so quickly. The, the, the wind of, the, not heaven, but something else, took hold of that clothing. Um, so before Pentecost, the disciples are fearful. They're running for their lives. After Pentecost, they're running to the front line of mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Before Pentecost, Simon, the apostle, the word Simon means read. He was blown and tossed by winds of opinion, winds of circumstances, his own impulses and instincts. He had foot in mouth disease. He denied Christ multiple times. He, he partnered with demonic thought. But after Pentecost, he became Peter the Rock. He preached the gospel and 3,000 people were added to their number on that day. You see, before Pentecost, the disciples, when they were waiting for Jesus to direct them as what to do, they went back to fishing. When you don't have a vision for your future from heaven, you go back to what you originally did. The Lord doesn't want you to go back to drink of the, 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 the rivers of dirty water. He wants you to move forward in the river of living water and His vision that He has for your life. Wherever there is a fresh work of the Spirit, there is fresh vision, fresh dreams for what God wants to do in the future. And so before Pentecost, the disciples are all huddled up in the upper room, fear, fearful for their lives. They're praying, they're seeking God, but, but they're fearful. They think they're gonna be killed like Jesus was. But after Pentecost, they were scattered across the known world, preaching the gospel, even to the point of losing their lives. So radical was the transformation that the Jews in Thessalonica, in Acts 17, 6, I think it is, they describe the ministry of Paul and Silas in this way. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. There was a signature statement and mark upon Men and women that had been filled with the fire of Pentecost, they were world changers. Jesus, by His Spirit, did not deny them their personalities. I'm sure there would have been introverts among them. I'm sure there would have been extroverts among them. I'm sure there would have been doubters like Doubting Thomas and others full of faith like Peter. But it's not a personality thing, it's a heart revelation thing. When the Holy Spirit moves in you, despite your personality, the Holy Spirit can use you to maximum and full effect. And so we need to ask the question, why is Pentecost so significant for us today? Well, it's the day when Jesus baptised His church in fire. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. It was a celebration of the grain harvest 50 days after the Passover. In the Old Testament, we read where the law was written on tablets of stone and people would observe the law externally in order to have access and a healthy relationship with God. And as long as you obeyed the law and you observed it, it was all cool, it was all kosher, you were in relationship with God, but there was, that, that was a temporary shadow of what was to come in the New Testament. In the New Testament, 
God wanted not just us to externally in our own efforts observe the law, He wanted the spirit of the law to be grafted and written onto our hearts. And the only way He could do that is if He poured His spirit out upon all flesh. Now, a thousand years before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit and the anointing, which is the person and power of the Spirit, only came upon select people. Certainly prophets of God, priests when they were being set apart and anointed for service and kings. And depending on how those kings stewarded the anointing, depended upon how Israel went or didn't go, uh, such was the grace or such was the um, sacredness of the holy anointing that would come upon people's lives. But a thousand years before Pentecost, Joel the prophet prophesied in Joel chapter two, and we would have heard the exhortation in our time of prayer together, that there was coming a day in the last days when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, young men dream visions. Right? Even on my male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. Okay, It, it wasn't uh, prescriptive in that that's all that would happen at the outpouring of the spirit. It was descriptive of some of the signs and things that we could see and expect with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Since the day of Pentecost, we have been in the last days. Now, whether this is the last of the last days No man knows the day nor the hour, not even Jesus, only the Father knows. So we can look at the world as previous generations have done and go, well, He's coming back like in a second based upon the darkness of the world and all that's happening. But rather than getting fixated with trying to get out of here, we should be more focused on being filled with the Holy Spirit who's trying to get in here to actually change and transform the cities, regions, neighbourhoods and nations that we find ourselves a part of, okay? So it's so important that we understand that when Pentecost was fulfilled, just as the Passover was fulfilled in the Gospels, Pentecost was fulfilled in terms of that celebration of the grain harvest on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. It's so important that we understand that the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Spirit, broke every type of barrier in society there is. See, the outpouring of the Spirit broke racial barriers. No longer was it just about uh, Israel or the Jews being God's chosen people, but now Gentiles of every tribe and tongue would be grafted in to the family of faith. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit was poured out? Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a chance. We wouldn't have had a look in. And so Pentecost also broke gender barriers. In a patriarchal society, this was revolutionary. And so where women were oppressed and have been oppressed, for gazillions of years, when the Holy Spirit comes, doesn't distinguish between gender, but the gift of the Spirit is given to both men and women. And so men and women can prophesy. Men and women can preach and teach. Don't misinterpret passages of Scripture that in Corinthians and 1 Timothy that talks about women not teaching. It's dealing with a specific issue in the church at that time. But people who've misinterpreted the Bible use that as a blanket rule to oppress women from being used by the Holy Spirit to empower their ministry. Oh no, when Pentecost was poured out, men and women can prophesy, men and women can lead, men and women can minister to the sick, men and women can govern, men and women. 
Pentecost broke gender barriers. It broke class barriers. And so now, whether you, you, you've got a lot of money or you haven't got any money, doesn't matter. You, you still, God's no respecter of persons based upon status and title. He responds to faith. You can have all the money in the world, but if you've got no faith, passing you by. Not because he doesn't want a relationship, of course. He desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The issue is one of, do you have any faith? God responds to faith, to childlike hunger and thirst. And so class barriers were broken. Generational barriers were broken. We're a society that worships youthfulness. Everyone's trying to preserve their youthfulness. And, and I get it. I am too. I wanna be as strong and as healthy and as energetic as I can for as long as I can. Nothing wrong with looking after yourself, but the Holy Spirit actually doesn't respect just youthfulness. The Holy Spirit comes to a person of any age, any class, any gender, any people group. So God can use a Caleb at 80 years of age. He can use an Abraham at 100 years of age. He, he can use a little child like Josiah the king at eight years of age. He can use you. We, we, we had our kids. Don't you love it? Seeing the kids pray for people. What are we doing? We're training up children in the way that they should go. We're, we're training the kids to expect to believe for miracles. When they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Our kids' ministry is anointed. Why? Because there's no junior Holy Spirit. He's just the Holy Spirit. And wherever there's hunger and faith, the Holy Spirit is drawn to it. Drawn to them. And so in Acts 2.1, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived. Well, guess what? Today's the celebration of Pentecost. They're all together in the upper room. And suddenly, when was the last time you had a suddenly in your walk with God? When was the last time you had an encounter with God that was out of the box? It wasn't just routine Christianity. All of us need to live and expect for suddenlies. Whether it's in a cafe, whether it's in, a, in your workplace, whether it's in your morning devotions. Maybe, you know, you're not gonna have visions of angels every day and you're not going to feel amazing every day when you read your Bible. But hand me stone, if you just get up and do it, one day you bump into a suddenly. You're not gonna feel goosebumps every time. I mean, there's a manifest presence of God in this room, right? You can feel the weight of it, right? And I'm just trying to flow, get in the slipstream of that and work with it, not get in the way of it, okay? But you're not always gonna feel that. Hand me a stone, sometimes Monday morning, it's not good morning, Lord, it's good Lord, it's morning. Good Lord, it's morning. Here we go again. And your body's aching and this is going on, but you've got to make a decision. Greater is He who's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is He who's in me than it's in my joints right now. Greater is He who's in me than whatever it is I'm facing in my job with my boss, or what my bank account looks like. <clears throat> There's always a new day. His mercies are new every morning, right? So you've got to understand that when the day of Pentecost arrived, the suddenly of heaven broke in to the earthly realm. Now, the baptism of the Spirit is distinct from being born of the Spirit. John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, prophesied the twofold work of Jesus. He looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is a work of salvation. But then he also said, he's coming to baptise you with the Holy Spirit 
and fire. That is a secondary work. And all throughout Jesus' ministry and into uh, the rest of the disciples' ministry and the apostles' ministry in the early church, we see this twofold work in the lives of believers. Now, Jesus himself was born of the Spirit to a virgin womb, Luke chapter one. But in Luke chapter three, he was baptised in the Holy Spirit. So he was baptised in water, okay, but then he was baptised in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the heavens were open, the Spirit descended like a dove and remained on Jesus. Then Jesus goes on to teach in the Gospels this twofold work. There'll be a well of water within in John 4 that leads to eternal life. What's that? Salvation, being born of the Spirit. But then there's gonna be a river of living water that flows out. John 7, what's that? That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What manifests in me must come out of me, must edify others through me. And so in John 20, 22, it says after Jesus' resurrection, He breathed on the disciples and He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, people often misinterpret this. He's not talking about being filled with the Spirit. He's talking about being born of the Spirit. This is what it means to be born again. So in John 20, the disciples were born again. They were born of the Spirit. They could not have been born of the Spirit before the cross. They needed to receive forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus. Okay, so they were born of the Spirit in John 20. But then in Acts 1-4, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Another description of the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Spirit. In other words, you've got to wait for the weight of God's presence to come on you. Lots of lightweight Christians in the modern church. And... There's no need for it. You can be a heavyweight believer. You can. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called a living, active, personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of us know, if Jesus needed this twofold work, we need it. If Jesus taught it, we pursue it. We practice it. If Jesus says it, that settles it. Why? Because Jesus is perfect theology. Even the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, Jesus said in John 16, when He comes, He will point you all to Him, to Jesus, to me, okay? So he, the, the, the work of the Spirit is to bring us into greater revelation of truth that promotes liberty and freedom in every single area of our life. Who is the person of Pentecost? The person of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit. In verse four, it says they were all filled with a person. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, when a person comes on you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the disciples were filled, not with an it, not with an impersonal force, not with some sort of, you know, smell that wafted in through the air vents. They were filled with the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit of God came and filled them, baptised them and saturated them. And the Holy Spirit in the modern church is the most ignored person in the Godhead because for too long religion has taught us to approach God based upon ritual rather than relationship 
based upon formality. So if you do the right ritual, right? If you attend church, if you bring your tithe, maybe even really step out in radical faith and join a life group. I mean, that's really out there on the edge, right? Uh, and you be a part of the fellowship of the saints. I mean, you know, now you're in. Now you've earned something. No such thing. The Holy Spirit was not intended to be a doctrine to be studied. The Holy Spirit is a person to be experienced. If all of your study just leads you to a doctrine to the point that you become so dogmatic that no one wants to be around you, you've missed the person of the Holy Spirit. And how many of us have met some believers who in their zeal are more in love with the doctrine than they are with the person? And it's one of the greatest roadblocks for the unsaved is when people who are zealous in their desire to uphold and maintain a, a doctrine or a law, they, they represent the doctrine more than they do the person of Jesus. No, good theology leads you to the person. So we don't study the doctrine more than we encounter the person. The study of the doctrine is to lead us to the person. You cannot witness on behalf of something you've never experienced. When I was in the police force over 20 years ago, I'd turn up to crime scenes and there'd be these overzealous, dramatic people who'd, who'd say that they'd witnessed something they had not witnessed. Why? Because they love drama and they want to be in the action. And so they start making up things and you realise there's only one person here who actually knows what happened. And we wonder why there isn't a greater witness in the church in the modern day it's because there's not a lot of believers, or should I say there's some, that haven't experienced the fullness of the Spirit at work in their lives. It's like four years ago when we came and started preaching, miracles are normal. People were looking at me like I had five heads. Because many believers hadn't seen it, right? Now, a whole lot more, it's tipping point. They're bought in. Why? Because miracles are normal. They're the air we breathe. We see it all the time. We could be here for an hour, just going through, literally an hour and longer, just going through all the miracles of what God has done and how He is moving. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You can't have fellowship with the doctrine. You can study it, you can understand it, but you only have fellowship with a person. Benny Hinn, some of you would know that name, great healing evangelist, mighty man of God, been unduly criticised, but his heart's pure for the Lord. And yet even in these weak moments, God uses all of us in spite of us. He wrote the book, Good Morning Holy Spirit. He was raised in Greek Orthodox religious tradition, didn't understand the Spirit as a person. And so it wasn't until he attended a Catherine Kuhlman uh, open meeting, lined up from 6am right through to the night, got the third seat in the auditorium. Catherine Kuhlman walks onto the platform, tangible presence of God, accompanying her and for several minutes she stops and she sobs and then she utters these words, don't grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. No one blinked an eyelid or said anything. They were just captivated. What on earth is she talking about? Who's grieving the Holy Spirit? And he realised on that day, Benny Hinn realised he does not know the Holy Spirit like Catherine Coleman did. Yeah. 
There was such a sensitivity. There was such a connection. There was such a fellowship that there was something in her that the worst thing for her would be to grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, would you give us such a sensitivity to the Spirit of God? Would you make us more aware that the Holy Spirit has faculties like a person? The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 27 that the Holy Spirit has a mind. It's called the mind of the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, we're told about don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. That tells us the Holy Spirit has emotions. Can't grieve someone if they don't have any emotions, right? The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts as He wills. There is a will of the Spirit. Doesn't mean you can't earnestly desire, but there is a will of the Spirit at work in your life. We read in John 16, 13, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit speaks, not on His own behalf, but according to the leadership of the Father. And then we read in uh, Genesis 1 and 2 about how the Holy Spirit acts. The Bible tells us right there in the first two or three verses of the Bible, of holy canon, that the Holy Spirit was hovering, brooding over the face of the waters, waiting, ready like at the starter's gun for the Father to declare, let there be light. Boom, and there was light. Who do you think brought the light into existence? Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the executive agent of the Godhead, who when God speaks, when the Godhead speaks, the Holy Spirit acts. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. So the person of the Godhead that's been left behind as our helper is the Holy Spirit. Best start a conversation with Him. He is the representative agent of the Godhead on planet Earth right now. The Bible tells us that He's known as our counsellor. Praise God for counselling. We have many, you know, professional Christian counsellors that are connected to our congregation. We refer people to. Our team does pastoral counselling. I debrief with a counsellor once a month. Not because I'm crazy. Some would say that. But, but because how many of us know it's just good health? We all need a debrief, right? And, and praise God for that. But do you know that you have a resident counsellor living inside of you? 24-7. And he's for free. Those counsellors are expensive, man. He's for free, right? Also, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. So when you're uncomfortable following Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and comforts you. The Holy Spirit brings comfort in the midst of your affliction. The Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit is our sanctifier. Now, Jesus says, come to me as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier, washes you clean with the water of His Word and by the power of His Spirit to conform you into the image of Jesus. He's a sanctifier. He doesn't leave us the same way. We become transformed. Does anyone, when you get closer to God, you just start to feel different. Your your appetites for the things of this world changes. Things that you used to have no conscience about, about, now you're like, you know what, 
I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to look at that. Why? Because your palate, your spiritual palate's changed. Ever had your physical palate change? All the pregnant mums in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. I've never been pregnant, but so I'm told. But I noticed my wife, when she was pregnant with our three kids, her palate changed. All of a sudden now she's just eating everything ice. Like, what's happening? Right? And we've got to ice freeze everything. Why? Because she's, uh, I don't know. And, and there's crazy t- palate changes that happen in pregnant women. Well, when you get filled with the Spirit, might not be ice, but I'm telling you, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, your palate changes. There, there, there's things that change. And you, things you used to entertain, things you used to look at with your eyes, it changes. Some of you are still caught on ice. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're very real in this church. How many of you know the Bible says the Holy Spirit's illuminator? So if, because the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion, but of order and peace, if you are living in a state of confusion right now, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When the Holy Spirit comes, fills you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So there are things that are mysteries, but when the Spirit of God comes, it enlightens your eyes, it illuminates you to the truth. Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being our intercessor. When, you, when your native tongue fails, the language of heaven speaking in tongues prevails. And the Holy Spirit, I think it's in Romans 9, It tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes with groans that are too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our intercession. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence, there is gonna be evidence of a manifestation of power in your life. What is that power of Pentecost? It's supernatural. Now in verse two, it says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So literally you need to understand they heard a sound. There was a tangible manifestation. So they could hear it. It it wasn't a wind, it was like. Divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. Maybe it wasn't literally tongues of fire, but it was like, it, it it appeared. It was an invisible expression of the presence of God made visible in their tangible reality. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, such manifestations occur to elevate our consciousness of two things, God's holiness and God's power. How many of us know He's still called the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we as a church, in a faulty understanding of grace, remove the holy and just go spirit. No, he's still a sacred, set-apart spirit. This is why we have consecration. We set ourselves apart. We do practical, tangible, physical things to partner with spiritual truths and realities to prepare our hearts for a greater move of the Spirit of God. So when the presence of God shows up, like we've been experiencing, like you can feel His weight in this room right now, it's a sign of His holiness but also it's a sign of His power, His dunamis, dynamic power. And that power is a supernatural ability. It's beyond what you can do in your own strength. 
on your best day, your best version of yourself can't compare with the anointing, the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, stay in the city. In other words, stay in the prayer closet until you're clothed with power, till you're mantled with power from on high. It's something that comes on you and dwells in you. You know, journalists reporting on the Azusa Street revival of 1906 would have to prepare blocks away to try and withstand the weight of God's presence and glory that would come on them the closer they would inch towards the revival at Azusa Street Mission. There was such a heaviness of the presence of God that literally their knees would buckle and some of them would fall to the ground and then pick themselves up to try and get in to report on the revival in Los Angeles. I'm like, Jesus, do it again. How many would like to see a little bit of weight in your business, a little bit of weight at Parliament House, a little bit of weight of God's Spirit in our schools and the education department? We need a, a, we need a, a move of God that, that would actually confound. Let the people mock. I'd rather some people mocking for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons, because of scandals and all this. And you just gotta understand, media and the spirit of the world will never understand a supernatural church. They will never understand the Holy Spirit. Don't even try to convince them. Now, if we're misrepresenting the kingdom, that's another issue, we can fix that. But when it comes to the moving of the Holy Spirit, it's not a real move of God unless it's mocked. There may come a day, I don't know, I hope not, but there may come a day where we have media mock us for our passion for Jesus or our hunger for the Holy Spirit. What are we gonna do, cut and run? No, we're gonna be who God's called us to be. We're gonna be hungry and thirsty. I'm not prophesying that that's gonna come. I'm just saying that you've gotta make a decision. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord whether the world understands it or not. Because one day every knee should bow, every tongue shall confess, whether they like it or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day we're all gonna have to bow and acknowledge I am not God, you are. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, you're gonna receive dunamis, dynamic, dynamites. Well, we get the word dynamite, uh, dynamo, power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Remember riding up Mount Painful, Mount Dandenong, and, a, and I'm riding my bike and my, Quads are seizing, my lungs bursting, sweat's flying, and here's this middle-aged mammal on an e-bike, just tapping his way up the mountain with a smile on his face. I wanted to lay hands on him in Jesus' name, but I couldn't catch him. So he's tap, tap up the mountain, and I realised human effort can't compete with technology. No matter how much you train, fit, and you try, you just can't compete with it. Well, I wanna tell you, human effort can't compete with not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And some of you, you may be highly capable, can do a million and one things, but there's something called the anointing of God's Spirit. When the anointing of God's Spirit comes on you, there's a sparkle in your eye. Your mind is quickened. I feel it right now. Something comes on you where you are not just who you are. You're superwoman, superman. Something comes on you where you can believe for the Red Sea to part. You can believe for limbs to be extended. You can believe for stuff. That's called the anointing. 
And it's not just someone on the platform who has access to it. Every single believer and follower of Jesus has access to the anointing of the Spirit of God. It's called the power of Pentecost. And many people throughout history who decided enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anyone ever been there? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've got to do something. What's the best thing you can do? Well, you can start a new diet. You can change your partner. You can start a new business. You can do all these things and still come back to sick and tired. Or you can get into your prayer closet and say, I'm gonna draw a circle around me and I'm not moving until this person gets in revival and the power of the Holy Spirit comes on me. I am not moving. This is what many people throughout history did and the rest is history. Samuel Chadwick was a preacher in the late 1800s. He put more faith in the excellence of his sermons than he did in the power of the Spirit to change people's souls. You know, we preachers can become more enamoured with the notes and the study, 20, 30 hours in the Word of God than we can in the power of the Spirit to change someone in a moment. We have School of the Spirit students that go walk down the street in our city and in the power of one prayer, one 30-second prayer, entire people's lives are turned around. And so he decided he wasn't, he was sick and tired of being sick and tired in his ministry, very little fruit. So he drew a circle and he said, God, baptise me in your presence. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He prayed to the point where he got so baptised, so filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord told him, burn all of your previous sermons. Took all of his sermons, late 1800s, that's a lot of work. It's not like just delete. Throw the MacBook in the fire. No, no. Everything, he's painstaking. Threw it all in the fire, started again, and the rest is history. This is what he said. He said, I owe everything to Pentecost. Destitute of the fire of God, nothing else counts. Possessing fire, nothing else matters. So the person of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit. The power of Pentecost is supernatural. The purpose of Pentecost is to empower your witness for Jesus. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and when He does, you will be my witnesses. Greek, martyrio, literally where we get the word martyrs from. Meaning this power will be so dynamic, so qualitative, so substantive that even if you had to lay down your life before persecutors and oppressors, you could. Why? Because this power that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and will give life to your mortal body. What does it mean to be a witness? Many believers think that being a witness means attending church on Sunday, bringing their tithe and attending a life group. No, they may be external things we do and that's part of it. But being a witness is Matthew 10, 7. Proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That's not just a job description for pastors and leaders. That's for every believer. When Jesus said, go in all the world, make disciples of all nations. He was saying, your job description is to proclaim the kingdom, cleanse lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's normal Christianity. We've got a different version of it in our day. If you want biblical results, you have to go back to biblical patterns. You know, in the late 90s, I had my own personal training business and also worked in, um, with physios 
as an assistant helping car accident victims rehabilitate after traumatic injuries. And when I'd go and work in fitness centres, you would bump into some unusually muscular individuals. And, you know, that asked me to train them and, and you get in a conversation and I'd be like, you know, are, are you, why the big muscles? Like, are, are you a firefighter, police officer, security guard? Are you an athlete? You're a powerlifter? No, none of those things. I'd go, why? Well, I like the look. And you realise that their reasons, and it's not, judge, you do what you want, but the reasons is cosmetic, right? In other words, they've got a lot of power, but there's no purpose. Wow. Wow. It's like a lot of believers, Got a lot of power. Been at Newman Church, Pentecost Sunday. Powerful. <laughs> but we've got to connect the power to the purpose. The purpose is to empower your witness. Don't leave your power at the door when you leave. Take your power with you. And what a lot of believers do to justify their powerlessness is they emphasise character over the power of God. They say, well, when it really comes down to it, it's all about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace. But I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope and love remain, but the grace of these is love. But the end of 1 Corinthians 12 says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14:1, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. In other words, it's not either or. It's not just character and no power. It's character of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of the Spirit and it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're gonna make sure that we're not presenting to the world a powerless gospel that gives to the world an inferior view of who God is. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us, but we also need it upon us. He's in you for your sake. He's on you for their sake. Jesus said it. He said in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to do something. I reckon one of the key prophetic messages for the church in this day and in this hour is do something. Is anyone with me? It's like, we, we, we've got so many theories and so much teaching and so much podcast, so many books, so many resources. We're so spiritually overweight. We need to exercise those spiritual muscles. We've got to do something. Comes a point with our team, I tell them, we've been talking a lot. It's now time for action. Like a good apostle, it's time for action. Let's go plant a church. Let's go change somebody's life. Let's go evangelise. Let's go on the mission, whatever we gotta do. Let's do something. The Holy Spirit is the best action movie there is. If you're bored in your faith and your Christianity, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Follow His leadership. I tell you, make your hair curl if you've got hair. If you don't have hair, probably grow your hair back. How do you know the Holy Spirit has fun too? You're not a part of a boring church. I don't know what's gonna happen in the next two minutes, let alone what's gonna happen next year. We've seen things for the future, we've got vision. We've got great governance, but we're just following the Holy Spirit. People say, oh, I wanna get out of church, get home, watch Netflix. Why bother? There's nothing on there anyway. You'll spend an hour looking for your next TV show. 
Why? The Holy Spirit just lives inside of you. Say, Holy Spirit, where do you want to go to? I want to go over to that person and encourage them. I want to be a blessing. I want to, I want to pay for that person's meal today. I, I want you to go over to that person and I want you to just share a few thoughts because I want to speak to them about their value to me. I want you to go on that mission trip and maybe just go for a weekend at one of our other locations and just serve. You know, we had some of the people of our church fly over to Adelaide for the launch of Numa Adelaide just for the weekend to be ushers to serve and just say, hey, welcome to the family. Paid their own way, paid their own accommodation. Why? Because they're just following the Holy Spirit. Is anyone being encouraged today? If the Son of God needed the anointing for His ministry, we need the anointing for ours. And, uh, you know, for me, I was baptised in the Holy Spirit when I was six years of age. Had a glorious experience. But in my adolescent years, because of a lack of intimacy and a lack of being refilled with the Holy Spirit, I became very reluctant around the call of God. I lacked power. In fact, when I returned to um, really following Jesus' heart and soul, not that it was ever, I was always a, pretty much a goody two-shoes. My dad will confirm that. Um, but, but... I was a good, obedient son. But I, there, there, there was a lack of power in my life. And I loved church. I loved the house, but there was a lack of power. And one of the prophecies was, you, I know you are of little power and you are weak, but you've not denied my name. And I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. And the doors that I shut, no man can open. And the doors that I open, no man can shut. And that began a journey for me of rediscovering that experience I had at six years of age was wonderful, but I can't just live off it. I need to be refilled. There's one baptism, there's many fillings. And some of you today, you're a believer, you're spirit-filled, you're convinced, you're, I'm preaching the choir, but you lack power. There's one baptism, but there's many fillings. You need to get refilled today. Others of you have never been filled with the Spirit Confirmed with manifestation of power and tongues and prophecy and everything in your life. And today you need to come. You need to say, God, I'm hungry and thirsty. Would you come and fill me? And God will say, yep, I will. You see, if you can do without the Spirit, you won't receive Him. If you wanna live life on your terms, Holy Spirit's like, I, I, I want a relationship with you. But if you wanna do that, then do that. But you, you need to know there are consequences to that. But if you're thirsty and if you're hungry, you're gonna receive the Spirit without measure. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platform.